discuss Shrek. Alright, well, welcome back viewers, listeners. No, I'm not going to cut it. I never cut it. When do you learn? I was doing I a don't bit. cut. It's a bit. Uh, welcome back no. to Tangents of a Better World, episode 5. I get to do bits. You, you don't get to do bits. It's all bits. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Um, sorry for the delay. It's been a long break and a long slump for, for some of us in this room. Speak for yourself. Um, I go by Pink. I'm Purple. Someday we'll have better names. And you are listening to our show. We don't really know what it is yet. We do know that the first four episodes were a little too glum. Well, I think, dour. We, I think we nailed it with sex robots. Uh, yeah, I do. I think that was a good episode, and then it was just all downhill from there. So well, let's I mean, try and turn I've it around. I've gotten good responses, so. Have you gotten good responses? Occasionally. Um, at least one person. Really? Liked it. And we already talked about this. That's true. We did talk about this. Um, before we get started, uh, we do have, we finally have an email. You have, yeah. we have an email. We have an email account. Yeah. It's, oh, oh it's, I thought you said like we had an email. No, funny. but we want to have an email. We want it from you, dear, dear listener. I was uh, so excited. So tangents of a better world, as you would imagine at gmail.com. Again, that's tangents of a better world at gmail.com. So yeah, send us an email. Uh, tell us about what you liked. Tell us about what you did not like about this. Ask us to talk about topics, and we will philosophize and okay. bullshit as we do. Yeah, sure. Okay, let's get in. Let's uh, get into it. Let's get into it. Well, um, okay. Uh, so one of the ideas that we wanted to bandy about this time was art. Sure. Yeah, art. Because yeah. like. One of the things that I think... What? Do you have something to say? No. Continue. <laughs> Carry on. One of the things that I think is important... Or one of the ways I want to I want to use this podcast is to talk about mm-hmm. the role of th- certain things in the future or a better world. So like, what would be the role of art in a better world? And that's kind of the, the prompt, mm-hmm. hopefully. That we can talk about here. Okay. Uh, number one, let's say uh, art should serve to be cover art for new Kanye albums. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Is it is it already not that way? I feel like not enough artists are working on Kanye cover albums. So we, we need, need like a... we need to get those numbers up. We need to pump those numbers up. It's probably like it's probably like what fifteen, probably fifteen artists on every album. Yeah. I'm just guessing. We need more like five thousand. I think we also need more artists featured on Kanye albums. <laughs> yeah, five thousand is already on each album, and that's not enough. We need more like featured as in like on the track. I want not on the, on the cover like. I want a Kanye album just called God, and I want it to have every <laughs> single person on the planet featured. Oh my God! It's just like Kanye records like the sounds. Of it's the, the Earth. Kanye God project. Because you you know you can listen to the sun, right? They they have like is it like track radiation or something like that? Yeah, essentially. So I mean, but you can do that with Earth too, probably. I'm pretty sure. So mm-hmm. you can have like God, the album by Kanye West. With, that's actually, that's actually with Kanye idea. rapping over the um, the radiation sound of Earth. That'd be great. You can have that one for free, Kanye. Then we could put in some uh, like whale noises. Whale songs from mm. Under the Sea. Under the... Uh, Under the Sea. <laughs> Under the Sea. Sure. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm a fan of whales. 
Really? You know who's not a fan of whales? Who's not a fan of well, whales? Well, actually, I I was going to say that global warming, but that's not a person, so. Mm. But, but in general, global warming is hurting the Captain whales. Captain Ahab's not a fan of whales. Well, I think he, he, he likes them enough to make it, make his life revolve around the whales. Does he not like whales, or does he really like whales? <laughs> <laughs> that's the real question from Moby Dick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, my favorite part about Moby Dick... Call me Fishmael. <laughs> My favorite part about Moby Dick is where it says Dick there right on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> Moby and then Dick. That's good. It's good. But like, <laughs> that's this idea that he likes whales too. Her man, Melville. See, it's possible that, that he, he likes the average whale, okay, but he really doesn't like the white whale. Again, does he really not like it? Or deep down, does he really, you know, does he really kind of... Does he desire it? Kind of, yeah. In too, ma- in too many ways. Yeah. I think that's what the book's about. It's I about mean, him desiring... He might have confused sexuality about whales. Okay, Freud. Like, it's not, not all our emotions have to do with sex. Like, Pretty sure they do, though, is the thing. Really? We need more artists to talk about this. Yeah. Okay. Well, Everything is sexual. Everything. Everything is sexual. Everything is sexual. I mean, I, I don't see it personally, but like, like whales, like hunting whales, that sounds a lot like, like getting oil for for lamps that we used to use but like how, how is that sexual i guess you could say know. like the, I mean, the masculinity of the, of the chase of the whaling hunt yeah just, but okay but we can't talk about sexuality just as a masculinity thing it's it's more than that it's i don't know i think i think okay i think it's it can be sexual in the way that there's like this unfulfilled desire yeah so kind of like the hunt but not like in a uh, predatory, creepy way. So, so what you're saying is that, like, sexuality doesn't necessarily get my dick hard. Like, it might just get my blood flowing. Yeah, you can have like an abstract sexuality. Yeah, yeah I feel like that, that's just generalized excitement, right? Like, maybe <laughs> generalized excitement. So, so what Freud should be talking about is excitement as opposed to sexuality, and then people might like it more. That's a great pickup line, girl. You make. Me have generalized excitement. General, you make me generally excited in in specific regions of my my lobes. <laughs> now I'm confused again. I don't know. Is it is it the brain? Is it not? Are there are there penile lobes? Should there be penile lobes? Wait, wait, wait okay. Should there be? Are you talking? Can about that be? Can that be the question? Updating of our this biology? No, I can't. Okay. <laughs> episode five colon. Should there be pe- oh. I don't know. episode five colon lobes? Yes or no? I, I guess I only really know about the occipital lobe, right? That's a thing. Also, earlobes. It's generally a face slash head thing. Yes. Uh, lobe. The classical library. The lobe classical library or lieb, however you want to fucking pronounce it. It's a series of books. It's not important. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to think of lobes. Also, just as a as a note, I've never read Moby Dick. Neither have I. I don't think anyone actually. Has. I like that Moby Dick. I think, I think Moby Dick is, uh, it's like the Mandela effect almost in the sense that we refer to it, but no one actually knows if it really exists yeah. as a book because no one's actually read it. I actually, I actually read a like Reddit slash books. It was like you shouldn't read the abridged copy of Moby Dick. Like you should, you should really dig into all that whaling shit. Like. It's not the plot that's good. It's it's the like the how into depth he goes into everything. I'm just like I thought Captain Ahab 
chasing sure. chasing his whale as a metaphor for the reader trying to slog through. <laughs> I feel like that's the re- just I think it's finishing the book. You, you might have a point. Yeah. Also, chasing that final page. I think an interesting topic might be talking about abridgments. Okay. I'm, I'm generally not a fan. How about you? Uh, abridgments are horrible. Yeah, it's, I it's I specifically do not buy abridged copies of anything. I think it's ridiculous and censorship. I saw an abridged copy of like a audiobook I wanted to get, and I just I just didn't pick it. Up. I was like, well, I guess there's nothing here that I wanted. There's nothing at all. Like I just don't even I don't even acknowledge it as a choice. So, but okay, but I can't pretend like I'm some elite intellectual because half the books that I buy I don't even finish. Yeah, well, I mean, so that's... if I actually bought abridged books, maybe I'd actually finish them. Is half the, the books I buy I don't even start. So just... <laughs> I mean, real talk. Yeah, me too. But um, what's the reason abridgments suck? Because because here, like like as an artist, it's saying like the the author is compromising their artistic vision, right? Or some other person, not necessarily the author, is yeah. like saying, "Oh, this part's not important." When it was put there for a fucking reason. Yeah, that's the thing. Is I want, I want to maintain the illusion that everything in the in the book or in the story or whatever was carefully curated yeah. and chosen for a specific reason and if it's abridged then that implies to me that not all of it is important and then that breaks down the whole illusion that what I'm consuming actually has significance because if some of it isn't actually important why is any of it actually yeah, important there you go I feel like wow yeah, yeah. I, I want I want the that's not really funny but I think it's true no it's definitely true and and here's the funny part like I want those 600 pages of whale porn okay I just I want it what if, what if, like, page five of Moby Dick was, like, just straight up whale hentai? <laughs> it's like, like, bondage porn of, like, white whales. Who wrote Moby we'll Dick? We'll never know because no one's actually read Moby Dick. Yeah, although you should definitely not read the abridged version yet again. Like, I'd study Moby's dick, though, any day. I'd study Moby's dick. Yeah. You know, in Bob's Burgers, there's this... <laughs> <laughs> From the holy book. <laughs> the holy... Sorry, keep going. The, the great canon that is Bob's Burgers... There is um, like this character named Gene. He's all about like music and stuff, and he, he constantly refers to like the god of music as Moby. Why? I'm, I don't know. I'm like, I don't get it. Like, is it talking about the actual artist Moby? Is there an artist named Moby? There is an artist named. Moby. Is he good? That's up for debate. Is there like a company called Moby that like makes music related things? Maybe. Because I feel like that's what it's about, but I don't know. Like he's got his name on all the music stuff, but. I think you've heard stuff by Moby. Or is it Modi? I think it's Moby. You've probably... We'll, we'll talk about it later, but... It's not important. It's not. It's Back not. to Moby's dick. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Great, great book or greatest Why do you think he chose the name Moby Dick? I, I bet if we read the book, we'd get an answer to that. Maybe, like... Probably. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think... I feel like that's the name of the whale, right? Do you think sexual illusions in the 1800s were anywhere near that explicit in mainstream culture? Probably not. Oh, so you seem like like dick wasn't even a slang word for dick back then. It's it's literally... Like, I don't know. I mean... Because you wouldn't put that on a book cover. You'd be like, oh, too risque or whatever. Yeah, something like that. you got to hide it in page five so no one, so no one will actually get to it. Yeah, like, oh, that's where, the, that's where the whale BDSM comes into play. <laughs> Another interesting topic. I actually I mean, kind of want to see this. Though. I feel like we. we what would, no, no, no. Hold on. What would well, PD, Okay, keep, keep. I'm sorry. I was gonna say probably getting caught in that, but I, I feel like we we we've pretty much roundly dismissed the idea of abridgments. Yeah. Um, but I th- another thing we could talk about is 
the sexualization of culture, or because like I think like think of it this way: our grandparents used to think that that sex had nothing to do, or like was definitely out of out of the the visual or like talked about sphere of culture. But now it's much more central. Do you think that's true, or, or and and our morals have declined, or whatever? Right? It's people always talk about. Mm. Well, I have objections to all so many of those things. Yeah, Amazing. Cool. Every word in that sentence was wrong. I, I I didn't know how to accurately portray it, but you get what I'm trying to say. Get that right? No, no, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think lots of people think that, and I think it's totally untrue. I mean, I mean, I think sex is more acknowledged in mainstream culture, but people were just as horny then as they are. Well, now. I, I believe that too, but like, there was a time when women couldn't even wear like shorts or anything that showed their leg when yeah. they when they, they people were just like fuck up driving and hit street posts and stuff. <laughs> well, so I mean, just there are parts in the world where that's still a thing, really. Yeah, that's very true. But, um, I mean, how, how is that progressing? Is it a good thing? Here's my theory. Uh, sexual desire um, hinges around realizing something that's just out of reach. Um, so, whatever tantalizes you sexually is going to be just beyond whatever your norm currently is. Oh shit, so you're saying we've got we, we're not necessarily more horny but we're more perverse. Yeah, well, yeah. So I'm saying that if you lived in a time where you couldn't I mean, this is from a male perspective, but let's just go with it. Uh, if you yeah, were, lived in a time where you couldn't see a woman's elegant ankles mm. ankles might get kind of horny. Like yeah. they might, that might be a thing. Yeah. Just because that's, like, just beyond the cusp of what you have access to. So, if you go based on that, like, like what's beyond the cusp of what we have access to? Uh, public nudity. Public nudity? Although, that would actually probably be a desexualizing force. Yeah. Which is probably a good thing. You got somebody to get sex now? Not the desexualizing part, but the sort of deobjectifying part, yeah. I think. I think we can both agree that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't, it's sort of, it's sort of, it sounds weird to say that I think everyone should be naked, but I kind of think that that would solve a lot of problems if we all were. Just because it's always, like, like, think about it, like, so many, so much of our choice about constructing our, our, you know, costume and stuff, it's all about the suggestion of, like, oh, what would happen if this was taken off, right? Like, okay, um... Margaret Atwood wrote a book called The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Have you read The Handmaid's Tale? I've, I've watched the, the, the Amazon series. It's Hulu. really good. It's, is it Hulu? Okay. I think it's Hulu. It's anyway. really, have you seen it? No. It's really good. The book is really it's good, too. super relevant. Anyway, there's this one quote in like it. Apparently, wait, one more thing about The Handmaid's Tale is that it's, apparently the, uh, the director said it wasn't meant to be political, but it's super political. <laughs> yeah, the book is like the most political thing out there, so I don't know what the director was getting high off of. but He was probably just like trying to play to the crowd or whatever. Probably. Um, anyway, uh, Atwood talks, about, there's like a specific quote in the book, I think she's talking about buttons, where she says that um, there's something so, or maybe zippers, there's something so erotic about um, the button because it contains within it the suggestion of being undone. Okay. I think I mean, there's some truth there. I, I could see that. But I feel like the, the person that, that thinks that might be also revealing part of their own consciousness. Mm. Like saying that if, if you say that, you're kind of the kind of person that wants to unbutton things. So so you and Margaret Atwood 
Kind of, kind of sexual. Kind of, kind of sexual. I mean, I mean, I guess that's true. I think everyone else is too, but not great. Not everyone else, but I think a lot of other people are too. Um, also, yeah. another thing about the Handmaid's Tale is that if you're listening to this sound director, you need to chill. Like the music choice was kind of discordant. Or maybe I just didn't get it. But There's not enough Kanye in it? Uh, it probably had too much Kanye, actually. Or whatever the... That, that's, that's not possible, so... Well, maybe if you should watch it and then get back to me about that sound design or musical choice, but it was... Was it, was, it just really heavy on, like... It was It was just, like, super... It was juxtaposing, like, two different ideas, I think. Hmm. Or maybe it was really... Maybe I missed it. More importantly, if we were watching whale porn, what kind of music... Would be going on in the background. Kanye. Yeah. Okay. That <laughs> okay. answered it. <laughs> I, I was gonna say. So I have a question. How did we get from from like, like covered ankles to bikinis, right? Because like th- this is essentially like what we're the the question is that or like society has if we're talking about how society has become more sexualized over mm-hmm. time, but like how has that happened? Or maybe not even more sexualized, but more. No revealing or whatever. Yeah, and also, um, How are there any, are there any parallels with male dress that we can draw here, too? Yeah. No, I think that's a really important question that I was actually going to bring up because I was just like, this okay. isn't meant to be totally... So let's start with the first part of that, and then we'll get to the second part. Because we don't really know the answer to either, but we can at least pretend like we do. I feel like that's what all we do, but... No, I'm going to part the curtain a little bit. Um... I think Hollywood is a big role in that, probably. So you're saying because, that because the Hollywood elite are decreasing the morals of everyday American society? <gasps> Shocking! <laughs> Let's keep the word morals out of the sentence and it'll be good. Um, yeah, I, because I think there's definitely this trend of... Um, there, there's a strong relationship between film and fashion. Um, and there has been for a long time, so... Uh, you know, uh, a new movie comes out, and in order to make it stand out, they will push that border of what's socially acceptable just a little bit, or maybe more than a little bit. Um, but when you do that, then all of the young folk want to go out and copy that behavior, and then they will, and then that'll eventually become the new norm. That's my theory. I mean, it's not just Hollywood, but I think that Hollywood is an example of kind of a titan of culture. I, I could also as, as a quick caveat so I don't sound like some puritanical jackass like I mean morals as in the puritanical jackass idea of morals like so right. I'm not saying like this is all bad or whatever but yeah. just bringing up the question from that point of view yeah um, so you're saying that that Hollywood that, that fashion mirrors film and film tries to be like on the edge of sensibilities and so from there we come we expand the reach of or what society considers normal. I think that's just one way it happens, but I think that's an important way. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a legitimate thing. I think there's also been a drive from economics to like as pre like nineteen twenty or maybe it wasn't before this, but like nineteen ten, like makeup for example was something that was reserved for movie stars. Right. And then it was it was brought down to To the like, masses. To the yeah, essentially to the masses. 
as, as a way of like getting people to, to spend their, their new money on something like that. And makeup wasn't always a gender thing necessarily either. I think it was like the modern kick of it, and then okay. from the 1910s it has been gendered. I don't think, okay, yeah. at least I don't recall there being. I don't really know what I'm talking about, so I'll just take the loss on that. It's one. possible. I mean, in other societies around the world, like in Middle Eastern societies, for example, there's a lot more focus on like aromatics. Oh uh, yeah. So, like, and they'll they'll even like make their own aromatics that like. Or, or give them as gifts and things like that, but well, that's really interesting that um, there's a lot that goes into um, kind of a constructed identity beyond just the clothes you wear, right? That goes into like all the senses, really. Yeah. Right. Like how well you lotion your skin, or how you smell, or um, I don't know, the way your um, punk keychain. Russells as you saunter down the hallway. Your right? Illuminati choker necklace. There you go. Your, <laughs> I saw one of those today. Uh, your yeah. I, I was gonna bring in whale sex and I don't know how, but it's something to do with whale sex. Just a shirt that says whale sex. It's a conversation started. But uh, another. I mean, we we we're, starts we're, a lot of things. We're looping we're looping around Excuse this conversation me. quite a bit, but um. How much of our identity is created through the things like the clothes we wear? Because, I mean, we're talking about, like, the, um... That's a question for Judith Butler. The, the sexuality, the sexualization of society from a, the moral perspective I was talking about earlier. But how much of the sexualization of society has to do with our clothing? And also, the other important question that, that might be asked as well is that how much of this of your own identity is decided by the clothes that you wear that are theoretically mass-produced, and so you're you're just like one of many other people. So I'd say maybe answer the first one first. Well, you, I, I feel like I've been answering a lot of shit today. Why don't you take a crack at it first, and then I'll weigh in with the correct What was my answer. first question again? <laughs> uh, you're talking about... Um, oh, what, what other elements other than clothing, for example. And I also don't think we're done with clothing because... actually, No, we're not. We're, we're we going to get to it. We might be done with clothing. I don't know. But what I mean, I'm done with clothes. <laughs> You're done with clothes. Just You're about to find taking out. Taking it off. Keep, okay. keep going, yeah. Um, so beyond fashion, I think music, for example. I mean, in terms of a content, album. and like. But I don't like walk down the hallway blasting my boombox over. Well, my you don't. But I think that was at least a cultural phenomenon that happened occasionally oh but you know now that I say that lots of people walk around with like their headphones like cranked mm. and they're not even on their ears they're just like generating their anthem as they walk by you seem to meet a lot more aggressively cultured like not necessarily cultured as in like high society but whatever that means no like, it's just vivid cult- it's yeah, just vivid. vivid and memorable you meet a lot more vivid people than I do <laughs> but, but music I think is one where I mean I, just, I guess one of the ways we can look at this is by looking at the the things that these puritanically moral people cite when they're citing the degradation of society. Like, they, they talk about fashion, they talk about music, they talk about film and stuff. And so, are these the ways, or are there others? Like, I mean, and, and what, what have been the motivations behind those? Because... I mean, are they all economic, or is it just like the this like pushing the boundaries constantly? And if and if we have been pushing the boundaries, why hasn't there? Why aren't we so far beyond 
what we are now because society exists for 5,000 years. So, I mean, like, what has given us the ability to push these boundaries? Also, I have an answer for that question, and I'm sorry that I keep talking. Take, take the reins, my friend. I, I just Small figured that, frere. okay? Because progress is a product of the Industrial Revolution. That's the answer, okay? You're distorting our waveform so much right now. Sorry. It's okay. okay. No, it's fine. It's fine. Keep going. But... but but before the Industrial Revolution, this whole this whole idea of progress didn't really exist, you know? Really? Yeah. Because, like, like what's Progress the, wasn't fetishized in the way it is now? It wasn't even the thing that people thought about. It was beyond our, like, imagination. Really? Because the, the world wasn't one that... It did, not only did it not offer progress, but it didn't, like, offer the idea of progress either. Really? Simply because there was no mechanism for progress. Like if you lived if you lived in a feudal society, I mean I I wouldn't say no. Okay, you hear like all those historians who want to maintain the agency of the 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 actors or whatever. It's simple. If there was no mechanism for progress, we would still be in a feudal society. Okay, so there was very little mechanism for progress. Fair. Okay. But if you lived in a feudal society and you were a serf, you're not gonna like rise to the rank of vassal. You're gonna be a serf, and your children are gonna be serfs. And there there wasn't a different future there. There was no way to get there. But th- that carried over into other elements of life as well. But so is that progress tied to sort of like class rigidity? A social like, mobility definitely... Well, I think it was a relationship. Not even social mobility alone, but like the whole idea of technological progress is something that didn't exist before the Industrial Revolution. I mean, there was like occasionally a new invention, but it certainly wasn't this idea that like I have no idea what kind of health benefits will be in a hundred years. Like... No, it's pretty much like the ancient knowledge passed down to us is still, I don't know, dividing as humors or whatever and bloodletting. So. Well, okay, there's a, it's not just a culture of progress, but it's a culture of science. Yeah. Right? Because that's a, that's a radical transformation um, from a world in which you have a text that tells you how to live your life to a world that says... Here's our current model of how you can live your life, but we're always changing and improving it rather than just the thing that is. Yeah, I think you actually hit on a really good point. Like, science is definitely wrapped up in it. So, um, or one of my teachers... of science. One of my teachers talked about mm-hmm. this by saying that there have been, like, two major disruptive forces in the past, like, 200 years, and that's been, like, um, te- technological progress... And Moby Dick. And um, capitalism. Okay. And those things have really shaped how we view the world in a lot of ways. And we have in America specifically. Well, in America specifically, but other other places as well. Like, sure. I mean, even even if you live in a place that has re, that has you're still affected that had been unenlightened or unenlightened or whatever whatever fucking terms you yeah. want to use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that aren't racist or whatever. Um, you would still be have been affected by them exactly. What was I gonna say? I lost my train of thought. Can we get back to close? <laughs> you just don't because oh god I could talk about this forever but <laughs> well that's why we do have the podcast I, I have I have another thought is that like the industrial this goes back to the digital box a little bit because <laughs> oh. the, the industrial revolution brought us this idea of progress and it was one of the there have been like two maybe three revolutions in, in human history Maybe four. Okay, so there was the Neolithic Revolution, which brought us from the hunting-gathering uh, societies to the agricultural sedentary societies. Yeah. 
Then there was the Industrial Revolution, which drastically increased the um, energy potential of every human being right. through technology and like fossil fuels and whatever. Today we are living in the Digital. information okay. revolution, which allows us to have information access and whatnot. Like we exist at the pivotal point of the third revolution of mankind. Yeah, sure. No, I'm I'm saying that it's not up for your interpretation here. Okay. Okay. That's that's my statement, and so like we have to ask ourselves what kind of ways we want to handle this, or and how do we get whales in the picture? Or that's my that's you're, my stakeholder you're, claim. You really you really stuck on whales this episode. Yeah, I'm stuck on whales. Yeah. Okay, but that's just kind of my my brief overview of history, and all and all of history emerges from this in some way or not. Mm. Uh, there was a debatable scientific revolution that happened, and I think a lot of how we came to progress into a more capitalistic realm came about from the scientific revolution from things like the reformation and copernicus and all those other thinkers of the renaissance so so things that predated industry by hundreds of years yeah i mean essentially every point in history has a long build-up to it there's there's these big under under there's a lot of foreplay unseen trends so we could say that one climactic moment just yeah but this all goes to answer the question, or maybe not making... Breaching over the waters. Maybe not. <laughs> just spewing uh, whatever whales spew when they... <laughs> okay, we're, we're five years old. But, <laughs> what were you saying? I was going to say, but this all goes to answer the question of why we haven't necessarily progressed to the point where everyone's a nudist. Like having bonobo sex on the in every alley or whatever. Like... Because prog- progress, the whole idea of progress, is relatively recent. So we're pushing at the boundaries slowly. Historically, it's very quick. But but perhaps in 2,000 years, it would be very extreme if we continued at the rate that we have. And I suppose we've the idea, the, the value we've placed in progress has branched out from technology and industry into other areas like society. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the idea of social, pro- not just specific things that we advocate for now, but just the idea of social progress in general is very important. Yeah. I would say to at least our generation. Yeah, that's one thing that... Um, and probably this like two or three before ours at least, yeah. Definitely. There's one thing my, uh, my film professor that we both took really kind of showed throughout the films we watched is that there is this... This stark difference between the, the old world of like the 1800s and the new world of like the 1900s. In like early film, you would see, I forgot the film. I think it was the. Something's no, I don't. Java, shut up. <laughs> Something to do with like a, a lieutenant, like the the first lieutenant. It, it's it's about like, it, it was about how the the old world responded to the new world, like, and what that meant for for women of the time, and so it, it's something that's. And the new world is the industrialized world, and the old world is the, like, monarchical, feudal mm. world. Okay. And so that, that's kind of one thing that was, it's, it's been thought about for a while, but it's definitely, like, a recent phenomenon in terms of human history. I mean, it's a century or two old, but that's recent on the, in the grand scale. That is very recent. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah, same. Uh, okay, can we get back to clothes? Sure. What do you want to say about clothes? Uh, 
But what questions didn't I answer that I asked? But go on. You didn't answer so many of your questions. <laughs> um, Send us emails, okay? Yeah. Ask me. But what about their emails? emails? Um, but what about the emails? Yeah, we don't have a private email server, but uh, yeah, Google, if we Google get, reads all of our emails. If so. we want to get national attention, maybe we should start. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I'm not an expert in this, but I wanted to at least bring it up because I have um, vague and tangential knowledge. Um, so the whole clothing relationship to identity is was really tackled uh, well by Judith Butler. I didn't talk at all about that. Did I? <laughs> no, you didn't. Do you know? Do you? No, I don't. Okay. Um, I don't remember explicitly when the book came out. I think it was early '90s or maybe mid '80s, somewhere somewhere in there. Um, anyway, it was a really influential feminist text, and from the little that I understand of the little that I read, because um, it, it is very complicated and it's very smart. Um, it basically presents the idea that um, there's kind of a, a self referential sort of cycle of feedback loop um, between. Uh, the choices that you make about yourself, which are typically in response to your identity, but they also create your identity at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, um, but basically the idea that your, your identity, specifically your gender identity, but other identities as well, um, are constructed by you with the choices that you make every day. So if I identify, um, Let's, let's not even talk about gender for a second, but let's just use a smaller example. Like, let's say I identify as, like, a goth or something like that, right? Um, I'm going to go out and buy a specific kind of makeup, and I'm going to choose every morning to apply that. Um, what that's, in fact, doing is it's constructing my identity through the choices that I have made. And then that identity that I've built for myself influences my choice later on. So we're kind of like hermit crabs, like, piecing together our shells a little bit. Um, except the shell, whether or not it's internal or external is up for debate. Okay. I mean, does, does that make sense? Not the perfect metaphor, but I, pre- I mean, it all, it all, I agree with it. I like the kind of seclusion aspect of that metaphor. That's why I chose it. But I mean, it's a hell of a metaphor, man. But yeah. That's what I, they pay me the big bucks for. It's, it's very, it is, um, interesting. In fact, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to it because it, it was so well put. I just forgot what it was. It was something about uh-huh, sure. self-referential. And there's a lot of things that are self-referential that I think, it, like language, for example, another thing. True. But we're talking about clothes, so, yeah. Well, I mean, it's all... Talk to me more about clothes. They're all very similar on a certain level. All these methods of communicating and expressing, right? Like, um, clothing is a manner of expression to the outside world. Um, in a similar way that language is, and both are choice influenced. I can choose what words to say. I can choose what kind of language to use. Um, clothes to wear. Clothes to wear. Uh, clothes are more visible and allow for more instantaneous judgment just because I can judge someone from their visual appearance, but I don't have to talk to them in order to judge them for that. Oh, shit. Like... Um, I have like so many, so many synapses firing right now. But I was gonna ask, like, what is the um, the ideal role of clothes in paradise? But I, I have a feeling I know what you're gonna say, and that's the having no clothes. And so essentially, we're going. Back, I mean, that's kind of low hanging. We're going form. back to the Garden of Eden. That's exactly what we're going back to. Wouldn't that be ironic that a, the culmination of this entire podcast is just like that? Just, our version of paradise is the biblical version of paradise. And God said, let there be light. 
and there was light. Just <laughs> and it was good. It was good. Yeah, exactly. We we academically arrived at a better world, a biblical world. Let's 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 bookmark that, and we might we might revisit that at some point. Well, yeah, we'll we'll definitely revisit that. <laughs> that's kind I, of I had, that's kind questions. of scary, but kind of. But but that was. I'm trying to think of ways that that's not true, and I'm having trouble. Uh, a gender binary that's not in my paradise sure that's a good one uh, not good not one you get what I mean yeah um I mean that paradise that paradise was represented by a lack of awareness of the world and oh and we have the enlightened paradise of extreme awareness but is it possible to have fulfilling life with awareness I feel like is that possible I feel like that's the only way to have fulfilling life I don't buy that. To be aware, so you're saying that the ignorant live just as as happily and fulfilling lives. They could. I, I would give you happiness, perhaps, but not fulfilling. Okay, define fulfilling. I feel like fulfilling is the rational excellence, where happiness is the emotional excellence, and comfort is the physical excellence. But why does rational excellence matter? I don't know. It only matters because we assume it ties back to emotional excellence, right? Not necessarily. You can be rationally excellent and emotionally the shitter. Like a yeah, and then, then your life is not fulfilling. No, your life is fulfilling, but it's not happy. I don't buy Okay, like Isaac Newton. Like Tesla. Okay, I don't buy it. <laughs> okay. Like Captain Ahab. Yes. <laughs> he was fulfilled as he went into the depths, but he was not happy. Okay. <laughs> or comfortable. Probably, probably not comfortable either. I'm a big fan of comfort in general. It's just... I really want to go look up fiction of Ahab X. Moby Dick fan fiction. Yeah. Dude, that's an untapped market. Did you know... You... Yo, Moby Dick fan diction. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure... Yo, Moby Fick fan fiction. How, how can you make that dirtier? Go... I don't know. But... I feel like, based on copyright laws, we should we should talk about sometime. There are so many which ideas. don't exist for Moby Dick because that yeah, exactly. Like, like Moby Dick is in public domain at this point, and I have seen other works in public domain as well. Have you? And what a ride! Like 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 Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice is in public domain. Okay. So you can legally write and publish fan fiction of Pride and Prejudice, and in fact, we do. And we, in fact, I have seen it. And, and I have read some of it, and it is bad, but... It is bad. Like, like there was this one, I think it was it was Pride slash Prejudice. Oh, great. And it was, it was like a sexual version of Pride, a more sexual, I should say, right? I don't know. I haven't read Pride and Prejudice. But it had, like, in, in the two opening chapters we looked mm-hmm. at, in both of them, the characters were having sex and they were interrupted. So just, Damn, that sucks. But, but yeah, that goes back to, like, you could write and publish your your Moby Dick fan fiction if you wanted to. I could. And it could be sexy and Oh, it would be sexy. And it can be good and pure. And <laughs> but the thing is I couldn't I couldn't have Kanye in the background because that's not in the public domain yet. Well, I fi- can you write about figure public figures? I bet, yeah, I think you can. Well, you can you can like yeah, you can write about them, but if I want if I want like a book on tape of my Moby Dick slash Fan diction. You can't like. I can't have Kanye in the background without licensing it. 
And realistically, because it would, of, it would be worth it because of fucking Disney, I probably will never be able to. Because unless Kanye dies tonight, okay. Well, no, anything that was created after Mickey Mouse will probably never enter public domain. That's fucked up. We should we should talk about that at some point. Why not now? Because I want to get this point. We'll okay. talk about that after I get this point. Okay. It's that I I think I would love to see. A, a fan fiction of what people think Moby Dick is without reading it. I would love that. <laughs> and in fact, any fan fiction about it would be that because again, no one has <laughs> exactly. read Moby Dick. Nobody's read Moby Dick. But yeah, okay. Let's talk about copyright now. Like, just okay. Do you think copyright is, is a benefit to society in general? Uh, well, I don't like the idea of commodifying ideas. So on a basic level, I object to it. But okay. but I think that within the system we already have, some amount of copyright is necessary in order to provide for people who have good ideas, right? Copyright would have no place in my paradise, well, but well, neither neither would necessarily wage. So, don't you think that like the people with good ideas would would still have good ideas regardless of copyright? So so if you wrote like this kick ass book and there there wasn't copyright. And people, people decided to immediately write fan fiction on that, or whatever they want to do with it, like or mix up the characters, or do any of their own creative pursuits with your world. Don't you think people would still look at your world as like the the like just naturally? It would naturally be the canonical source because it's the first one that everyone's referencing. So copyright doesn't really protect the artist at all. Not necessarily. Just... I mean, you could talk about like early rock music where a bunch of white rockers copied a bunch of songs that black artists had done before and better, yeah. but those original singers and performers got zero of the credit and almost none of the royalties. And did copyright protect them? Like, <laughs> It probably was... It should have. It like, should have. It probably was implemented in an unjust way, so it probably didn't work out for them. That is a good point. And, I mean, without copyright, there's... There's no reason why you would even need to credit the original source if you copied it. Okay. So people would only have like a like a mirror's reflection of the original source. Like if I find And it could be as distorted as they want, right? And I mean, that distortion is an important part of cultural development. That's not a bad thing, but I think I think it is helpful to be able to clearly identify this was the person who wrote this. These were the circumstances under which it was created. I think that has value. I often think that... I think the first one has value. I think the second one is almost never talked about. Although, if you go to any, any like, museum, or any art specifically, like, like modern art, it's almost all about the second one. So it's all about the circumstance. Yeah, but that's just a reflection of our cultural moment and what we think is important. I mean, that'll, but, that'll change in 30 years. But to, to the modern... To do our current societal way of looking at things. I mean, society, current society, mass society, like, hates modern art. Because <laughs> they don't get the second part. And I feel like most people don't don't get the second part. Like, a lot of people like Harry Potter because it's a good story. Some people know that J.K. Rowling wrote Allegedly about, a good story. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. They know it's a good story, okay? Okay. But, but some people know that J.K. Rowling wrote it well on Government Aid or whatever, but that's not like necessarily the important part about Harry Potter. So I, I don't know. That's just a thought that a lot of people miss the second part of your statement, which is 
viewing things in their context or whatever. But without copyright, um, J.K. Rowling could have put it out in some sort of small way and then some big publisher could have said, oh, I like that. I'm going to combine that up and scrub her name off it and then mass produce it and then she would never see a penny. Okay. Although, so, although the, okay, the, the information revolution does change that because of self-publishing, but I think that self-publishing is not the gateway to success that people think it is. Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. There's too much shit out there. But really, I suppose we're trying to to cater to a perfect world, or not a, a better world than we currently live. Here's in. my question: Do you do you create a better? This is kind of a fundamental question I have. Do you create a better world by treating things as they would be in the better world, or do you create a better world by taking different actions to ultimately create that better circumstance? This is I, I'm literally working on a on a story about this, but. Like, if I, kind of my question, like, do the ends justify the means? Do you do unjust things to create a just society later? Or do you have to just do the just stuff and hope that everyone else joins you? My Two of my characters argue this exact point. I I honestly don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. Which is probably why I'm trying to work on this. Mm. Work, but, yeah. I, uh... I would say that you probably have to do the occasionally unjust thing to create a better world. Hmm. Although I feel like if you if you do the just thing and wait for everyone to follow you, you shall witness a great deal of injustice in the world hmm. without being able to change it. Which is in the story that there there's a the main character and he he's the kind of person that believes that you you should be the, the just person well well like not necessarily doing anything to make the world a more just place mm. and I think a lot of troubling things arise from that philosophy like the the witnessing bad events like like the the just person might be like the uh what's the what's the term that well, the, the moderate white man, for example. Yeah. He can like, look there, there is great injustice in the world, but I'm not the person perpetrating that injustice. I I, I have black friends or yeah. whatnot, and just, it's... So, like, you and me, basically. Well, I, I think we... We don't want to be that, but right now... We don't want to be that. But, like, if you look at us... We understand the issues of that. If you looked at us on this day, we're probably doing that, right? Like, we aren't... Yes. We aren't actively in the streets picketing for change. We aren't radical revolutionaries. That's right? next episode. <laughs> I mean, hopefully at some point we will get there, but yeah. we're not there right now at all. The argument that could be used to counter my, my statement about not helping is that you could live your life and refuse to take part in the systems of injustice. Like, you could refuse to buy coffee from... Like places that exploit workers or whatnot, but essentially every system you have exploits people in some way. So you'd have to be like a hermit, or there are there are injustices that you cannot ignore if you are a member of society. Yeah, you cannot avoid them. Like even paying taxes goes to war or supplementing the bureaucracy, which causes. Right. I mean, any time you do anything that consumes fossil fuels or has a carbon footprint, you are impacting the world in a way that is 
inequitable and will affect people probably in third world countries much more than it will ever affect you. Yeah. So, like, turning on your light, by extension, is an unjust thing. Yes. And, I mean, so, in that case, you could create a better world by being the, the, the change you want to see in the world, I suppose, which is not doing those things. Not Although, existing, really. Well, yes, you couldn't create a better world. You could... Can we have a spoiler alert for my better world? Sure, go ahead. It would have no people in it. No people in it? <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you subscribe to the idea that to create a better world, we need to kill ourselves? I subscribe to the idea that... See, when you put it that way, it sounds really bad, and it is really bad. This is actually a, a philosophical... Like, like things people in the environmental fields have debated. Not that they should kill themselves, but like like th- they view that as a philosophy which is untenable. Right. And therefore has to be discarded or has to be responded to in some way that is not that. I guess what I'm saying is that the net sum of human existence is at its best neutral. <laughs> I think this is where we differ. <laughs> I would say at its best, it, it's it's good. And if we chose to, we could lead to a flourishing of the world. Okay, but that's all relative to what you're talking about. Like, if you're talking about flourishing relative to the white rhino, obviously not. If you're talking about we could We could sow fields of white rhino. Sow our wild... We, we could breed them to herds of millions strong, or whatever rhinos travel in. Mm. We, like, yeah. We could make the world beautiful if we chose to. We could lead to we make it sustainable. We could make it beautiful. We could make all life everywhere flourish. And that's really what my paradise is more about. It's about humans kind of being gardeners of the world, in a sense. And I know that's like saying that that we have more right to be here and more responsibility to like decide for these other creatures. But well, I'm not going to argue with you at that point. I mean, I believe in moral relativism to some degree, and. As far as I know, we're the only creatures that actually think about morals or discuss them. So there are we're, like monkeys and stuff. Nah, yeah. That's a good point. But I, I mean, I guess that's the monkeys going to make their own decisions. Then <laughs> we'll decide for the ants, though. Like I don't know. Uh, I I think that that debate is also unimportant to discuss. I mean, what what animals would have the world be like? I'm not the perfect environmentalist here. <laughs> I still think like my philosophy would go a long way to helping the environment in this case, but it might not be the ultimate end good, but who knows. Can we transition to my final big question of the night? Sure. What are the morals and ethics of zoophilia? What's zoophilia? Is it fucking animals? Yes, basically. Love and or sexual relationship with animals. Um, Specifically whales. I'm actually really... <laughs> Really but we curious. Can, we can abstract this for the sake to, of our to hear your opinion because I, I have a a a strong, a firm, uh, rigid, <laughs> rigid philosophy that is full of penetrating insight. Yeah, full of penetrating insight, and, and I want to know what you feel about this before I I let you know. Because, like, if you're trying to to gauge the room right now, I don't need to gauge the room. I, I'm confident in my opinions. I'd love to hear about them. Mm. How do you feel about zoophilia? Okay. Uh, let's see. Let's start with the things that I do know for certain. Okay. 
Let's start with the... Whales are sexy AF. No, okay. Um, I believe that sexual relationships must be consensual. Yes. There must be informed and willing consent. Yeah. Uh, I believe that has to be in some way established and understood by both or more parties, whoever's involved. Or more. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not sure about that second part. More as in, like, you could have more than two creatures involved in a sex act. Almost. Okay. I, thought I don't you were mean, like, I I don't mean about some outside act. Like, no, 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 no. I mean, more within the act. No, okay. If you want to have a whale orgy, that's, I'm just keeping it open. If the whales want to have an orgy. Right, right, exactly. Um, the sticky part for me is not, <laughs> that's not what I meant. The difficult part for me is not that concept. It, 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 okay. I really don't think if there, there if there were some point. way that you could have a relationship with an animal that you knew for certain was consensual, I don't understand a moral problem with that. The problem with that I have is that there's no way to actually ascertain that without a clear language. I I'm gonna say that that yes to everything except for the the, the thought that there is a a possible consensual relationship between a human and an animal. Okay. Why why not? I think I think animals should should breed with each other. <laughs> okay. I don't think we should breed with animals. Why? Evolutionary bi- biology just don't I mean people people use those shitty arguments for like all sorts of things. Right. And honestly like you could say maybe in a more enlightened time when animals have better rights. Sexuality is not just about reproductive purpose. We've established this already. Some animals it is. Some animals reproduction is bad. It's like really aggressive and and clearly in those situations it would not be consensual. So so literally don't fuck a duck because it's not they don't like fucking each other. It's right. It's not like a it's not a, a pleasure act. No. Clearly not. Uh, but like having sex with a horse, like you condone that if you can get consent from a horse. If there were some theoretical way to communicate explicitly God. and clearly with a horse and establish Mm-mm. a relationship that was informed, consensual, and did not have God. unequal power dynamics that would influence you think it. you think you can have if you no unequal power dynamics with your with your fucking horse if you could establish like, all three of your horse is bringing home the bacon there too. is nothing wrong with that act oh my no there <laughs> i feel like your power dynamics thing just just gave me more fuel to the fire about the reason it's the wrong act like i mean what that would require is a world without animal ownership really <laughs> right it would theoretically be okay. Hear me out. In so, my paradise, in my paradise, if you're gonna allow me people, <laughs> okay, I'm kidding. But imagine a okay, imagine a world where imagine humans all. and animals coexisted in a way that humans did not own them, but just lived with them. I feel like you're not meeting me emotionally or intellectually in this conversation, and I need you to be here. We, yeah, I I'm need not, you to join me halfway on this I'm not bridge. gonna... I feel like if I joined you halfway, the listeners can just be like, oh, fuck these guys. Like, they're totally well, unreasonable. I don't need you to agree with me. I need you to participate in the conversation. It's like the whole argument about... Like, like you asked me for episode one, which I went back because I was, like, worried about some of my statements in episode three or four. But I went back and listened to episode one, and you asked, what's wrong with murder? And so now you're asking, what's wrong with fucking my horse? Like, just... Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is 
You're like, wh- where is the foundational philosophy which prevents fucking animals? Right. And, and often, like, I feel like you're, you're, you're right on the track with consent and things. I, I guess a better way to ask that question... I'm saying there is not... Okay. A better way to ask that question might be with animals that, that we don't know about, like aliens. Like, could you could you fuck an alien if the alien was, like, down for it? That That's a much more interesting idea because we, we can... We can debate whether or not animals have that kind of sentience or willingness to give consent or right. equal power dynamics. All those things might exist. Right. And that would be a much, like, I would be much more open to considering that than animals in a lot of cases. Because I don't see a future where we get to talk to animals or where animals share our, our power dynamics. But we've already established that language doesn't have an objective oh meaning. So here, okay, so an alien comes down to yes. Earth, and says, I mean, language doesn't have an objective meaning, but we're able to communicate like across languages. Yeah, I mean, we get along realistically, generally speaking, fine. Like it works a lot of the time between people, but if an alien's descending to Earth, like I'm just saying that, like that that question becomes more important because. Things like consent require a shared cultural context. Yes, obviously the first thing I wouldn't do when an alien comes to Earth is try to fuck it. Is try to, well, I mean, yes, not. I mean, someone would not not me, but someone. I would. mean, you brought up that 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 statement before that we're always asking the question of question like, one is it in group or out group? Yes. Question two, can I fuck it? Exactly, that's, that's the psychology. So, so maybe someone would think that, but it wouldn't be the first thing on my list, and I wouldn't call it a moral action if they did. So. Okay. I would cut or a immorally justified action. I, I would say that we should develop this language, a shared cultural context, and then we can move on to the the sexy time with aliens and or horses. Okay, and or horses. So you're open to the possibility. So, see, the thing is, I don't think we're going to be able to establish that language and or shared cultural context. Imagine we invent a device that allows us to actually communicate with, let's say, a horse. Is consent an emotional affirmation or an intellectual affirmation? I feel like someone... I feel like there are probably people out there who know this answer way better than I do. I'm out of my depth here to answer this question. I think it has to be both, probably. Because you have to understand what it means... Yeah. Intellectually. You have to have 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 an acceptable understanding of the consequences of the action. Yeah, you have to desire it physically or emotionally, which is pro- which is one of the reasons I'm more against prostitution than your average I don't know like philosophically minded I don't know liberal or whatever. Because like like you can say prostitution is like intellectually yes I'm okay with this emotionally I don't give a shit I'm doing this for the money. Right? Okay, so what about thought experiment? What if you had what if you took two people who were, you, you know, it's like the it's like the uh, isolated thought experiment. Like you have someone who grows up in a vacuum with no other human interaction. Yeah, they just exist. Um, what if you had two people who were like that, and you put them together, like in the same room, and at some point they develop, let's say, theoretically, some kind of sexual attraction. Probably would. And they have sex. That would. If they were both interested, but they didn't necessarily have any grasp of what the consequences would be because no one talked to them about sex or how it works, would that be a consensual action? 
Like what what level so of knowledge s- and intelli- what level of understanding allows consensual sex? It's like I don't begrudge whales for for fucking constantly. <laughs> every I'm jealous. Day, I'm jealous. I don't begrudge day, it. evening, and night. It's just, but. I think we hold ourselves to a higher standard than whales. Um, I would hope so. I, I think that the action that in the thought experiment you're proposing isn't necessarily a issue, or I mean, I mean, it isn't necessarily like a bad, an immoral act. But I don't know, that, man. Applying that is, is difficult. This went down a different turn than I was hoping it would go. <laughs> Talking about, yeah. I'm not sure about this. I'm not, I'm not sure either. It's like, I, I wouldn't begrudge them for, for exploring their own sexuality either. But like, I, I also, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I, I, think, think, I, th- I think it has to do with the context. Like, Though those people were raised in a context where they, neither of them were exposed to the intellectual consequences. Yeah. Here's another question that might be a little more abstract, or like not quite as... Thankfully more abstract. It's a different question. Um, Clearly, we want to live in a world where um, things like sexual assault do not exist Mm -hmm. at all. Not a thing. That's that's the that's the goal, right? It's part of paradise. Part of paradise, absolutely. Um, but that is the human dimension of morality and ethics. Wait, Do we apply those kind of things to animal interactions? Because there are plenty of species, like we just talked about, that don't behave in this way at all. Is there any um, moral imperative to some kind of net good or net justice to prevent... Um, animals from, but I mean, animals do lots of things. Yeah. Animals murder Animal, each other all the time. Do a lot of fucked up shit. Right, that by human standards would not be acceptable. Yeah. Do do you just is there? Can you just ignore that and let it do its thing? I personally think we 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 should, and also, I mean, I think there there are philosophically philosophical reasons we we should ignore that, and philosophical reasons we shouldn't consider that question because if we say, oh, let let's. Let's do those things. We ha- there are so many other things. Let's we have police to- the monkeys or something like that. Police the wolves, you know. Yes. <laughs> or, or or police the tigers or whatever. It's like yeah. Then we have to we have to provide for the tigers. We have to like artificially inseminate the ducks. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> that seems, that almost seems like a less moral action, right? Like, but just. <laughs> Well, like, how much pain are we trying to reduce here? Like, That's a good question. Yeah, so I does, think, do our visions of paradise allow for worlds in which bad things can happen? Uh, perhaps perhaps the ideal is that, that paradise where animals don't kill each other and they survive off of, I don't know, fruit or whatever. But isn't that, like, kind of what was in the Garden of Eden, too? Like, Yeah, kind of. I mean... Our, Maybe our, these these people weren't weren't so eggheaded after all. Maybe they really yeah. thought about this question. Does our does our vision of paradise allow for the existence of paradigms within it that don't match our own worldview? Oh, I, I sure hope so. Okay. Cause I, I think definitely paradise would also have 
a significantly different view on animal rights. I think animal rights would... Even greater than what I currently think animal rights are, it would probably be the norm. So, um, a wolf could kill a cow, but a human couldn't kill a cow. Yes. Yes? Question mark. I, I would allow those things. I'm go- Actually, I don't think I would begrudge humans for killing that many cows either. I, I begrudge them for the factory farms and the things like that. I first of all I agree with you. Second of all, I'm going to ask you why. Why? Because like, why is one act of one kind of cruelty permissible and the other is not? Because like, I I think that it's very difficult, like philosophically speaking, and going back to the whole idea of whether or not we should allow pain in the animal kingdom. There, there is this natural world which is beyond morality, which is like the world of the ducks and the tigers and which I think ought to be permitted to exist in its state as it would without our interference. Yeah. And so, like, a cow or a bull or whatever you choose to kill in that world, like, humans can participate in that world, too, because we are also creatures of nature as well. But we can't have sex with the animals. <laughs> well, <laughs> Think it's... I don't fundamentally disagree with you. I'm just saying, like, from that logical perspective, it's a little inconsistent. Logically, yeah, it's difficult. Like, I don't think I'm doing a great job representing, like, the logical arguments against it. I think if I had time to think through it, if I wanted to think through it, if it's something I... We can maybe revisit If there were, If there was, like, animal rights experts, they'd be like, these are the reasons. Or if there was, like, philosophy people. I'm just yeah. some guy in a chair, okay? Just yeah. saying, like, don't fuck your, your, your horses, but... I think that... I guess what I'm saying is, like, if I were to summarize... I mean, obviously, plenty of people disagree with individual things in here, but generally speaking, our society says um, it is okay to kill animals for food. Mm -hmm. It is not okay to have sex with them, especially if it's clearly against their will. But uh, either way, realistically. Um, So it's okay to do murder, not okay to have sex realistically it is generally accepted for painful breeding practices for food yeah we don't like it but we tolerate it so each of those things is kind of inconsistent with the other two so it's it's, it's possible that sex with animals is justified it's just beyond it, it, we're just so hampered and drawn down by our puritanical morals here Oh, shit. That's not what I actually... I don't think or feel that way. It's just that now that I look at it from that perspective, I, I can't unsee what I just saw. And yeah. this is this is where the, the start of the revolution... Not the revolution. The revo- This is a revelation we've just had. I don't have an answer for this. Just, um, um, I... <laughs> I don't either, you know. <laughs> okay. I, I think we, we uh, for the time being, you shouldn't fuck your animals. Please don't. Until um, further notice, don't do that. For the time being, like, I guess try to, to be better to them. Like, don't be cruel to them. Don't be cruel to them. Yeah. I, but you can still eat meat. But definitely save the whales. For sure. Yeah, save the whales. They're kind of important. They're very important. So, and they're very innocent. I guess the, the prescription... Not to the krill, but to everything else, they're innocent. <laughs> 
Well, the krill, like, they, the, the whales help keep the krill down. And there was a krill would fill up the world. And they reached their carrying capacity or whatever. I, I don't know, biology, man. But, like, I guess the foundation of animal rights might be do no pain. And we do a lot of pain in the factory farming industry with, like, cattle and things. I, I, I might even be okay with, like, humans killing cows in, like, a, a free-range way. Okay. Because also... I feel like what I exposed about my morality earlier on with this idea that humans can be great gardeners is that I have a more human-centric view of morality than yeah. than a purely ecological one. And clearly and I, I do too. And other people will feel very differently about this. And there there are different like groupings that my... The class I took that dealt with like the morals of environmentalism talked about. It had like four main ones, but... There, there is definitely a difference between the the purely ecological and the human centric, and I do fall human centric. Yeah, for at least for the time being. And I think this is one of the ways where I'm potentially wrong in philosophy. I think I might be even more human centric than you, realistically. That's quite possible. Yeah. Um, given what you've said, like, given all the things, all the weird things that I've brought up today. Um. Okay. Let's call it here. Sure. Okay. Uh, thank you, dear listener, dear audience, for tuning in. Um, don't forget, again, to contact us. Write us a review. Um, Actually, I don't know. At least they re- Okay. Sure. Okay, reviews are important to building a podcast. I'm nervous about reviewing because I know we're, like, really rough and we're getting started, but... Like, were they type out, like, you suck? Like, like zero, on iTunes or whatever. Zero out of ten. Anyway, please subscribe. Sure. Tell, your, tell your friends. Share. Email us, tangentsofabetterworld at gmail.com. Um, thank you for sticking through with us on this next leg of our journey and any any last thoughts uh I mean if you try to read Moby Dick or try to find a real copy I bet you can't it probably doesn't exist probably doesn't exist because and if it does it's probably whale porn yeah or also write a fan fiction of of Moby Dick and send it to us definitely send it to us but don't read it first or don't read Moby Dick first before you write the fan fiction yes agreed agreed and then just, just send us some Send us, send us your uh, novice, uneducated, but truly authentic, truly speaking from the gut whale porn. Tangents of a better world at gmail.com. Yeah, there we go. Thank you very much. Stay frosty and have a nice day. Stay frosty.